I am recording. The buttons are moving. The buttons are moving now, are they? <laughs> Sorry, I've pressed the button and the, the the numbers are moving. So, Scotty, uh, can I can I can I uh, brag about the fact that uh, James Dempsey and the Breakpoints have have been rehearsing and that we even plan to tune our instruments for the upcoming show? John, you can brag as much as you like. Okay. Well, we have. So I hope to see all of you, everybody who's listening, anybody who basically is in the Northern Hemisphere needs to come to this show. It's going to be good. It's going to be very good. So basically, you want this to have uh, the show to have a waiting list like Hamilton. Exactly. Oh, my God. Did I tell you? I got to see Hamilton on Saturday. It was great. I know this has nothing to do with anything, but y'all are jealous. It was a spectacular show. Okay, so I, I know a little bit about Hamilton and, and you know, what say, but what did what do you think about Hamilton makes it so popular? Well, I think a lot of things. I think for one thing, the just the the music, the rap, the the rhythm was spectacular. Being able to, you know, bring the 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 political intrigue of the day to life in terms that that people, young people in particular, can understand is great. And I think probably the best thing about it is that, you know, we're, we're talking about about kind of old white men. I mean, for the most part, right? And so to see, you know. Uh, Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, who are played by the same actor and, you know, uh, who's African-American. And then he kind of when he becomes Thomas Jefferson, when he returns from France, off comes the headband, out comes this huge fro. He's wearing, you know, purple clothing. So he looks like a prince in a certain era of them. And to have him do the, the rap battles about whether or not the United States should get involved with, with France or, you know, the, the uh, another one which was about, you know, whether, you know, whether uh, the Federal Reserve should be created uh, and which is the, you know, among Hamilton's many, uh, many contributions. So, it, you know, it, it is fantastic history. And even if it was just, even if it was just kind of a, a, a kind of a condensed version of what's otherwise a, a, a grand work, you know, the, the, the biography of Hamilton that's based on, it's interpreted in a way that makes it much more accessible. And, you know, I, I, I can't say I'm a huge musical theater kind of aficionado. I've, I played pit orchestra in a bunch of them when I was in high school. My son does it. So all kind of the classics, the Bye Bye Birdies and, you know, the carousels in Oklahoma and all those ones that, that people know. But this, this to me is so much, it, it is, it is to these musicals and no disrespect about saying it, but it is to these musicals what what Jimi hendrix was to to rock and roll it really is something apart i think um so yeah, that yeah. sounds really cool it, it's yeah I th- anyway I th- so, well no there is we say there's nothing in there but there is um you know there there is loads in there well firstly i agree with you i am i i am not a big fan of musicals i i will virtually avoid do anything to avoid going to a musical <laughs> um hmm. uh Especially these sort of um, sickly sweet sort of Lloyd Webber type musicals. Right. Uh, I have to say I have seen one musical I enjoyed. I saw um, The Color Purple um, mm. uh, on Broadway about ten years ago, and that was obviously a blues based um, score. Again, a great story. The Color Purple and in, in, uh, uh, the abuse of African Americans and in, in in the culture they're in. So it was. Um, uh, really good, but this okay. So why is this relevant? Maybe to our, our listeners, the the Hamilton thing is because uh, here is a show that has taken something that um, you know, people in in the United States were not craving to learn about Hamilton. Um, they may know about have known about him and known about some of that era, but it wasn't like there was this like thirst for it. 
Um, mm. And so let's say someone has taken a difficult subject and, as you've said, have made it accessible with excellence. That's that's the core of a good application as well. Taking, some, take, oh my. taking something that is hard, taking something that is difficult to do, uh, making it accessible with excellence in, in a way that's almost enjoyable and you want to do it, you're on a winner there. People will be queuing up to buy your app at the same time. Gosh, Scotty, that was slick. That was slicker than I don't know what. Slicker than oil in the Gulf of Mexico. It happens now and again, John. Not very often, but just now and again. Okay, so, but see, one doesn't want oil to be spilled in the Gulf of Mexico, but I do want you to be slick, so we have to find a better comparison. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I I took something, I made it it made it accessible and excellent, and you, you just went and just shat all over it. That's true. <laughs> I am a bad person. You know what's bad, Scotty? Taking. You know what happened to those good people at Panic? That sucks. Somebody broke in and stole their source code. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, slicker than slicker than oil in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I don't know. That that was. Yeah, that, let's not even analyze them anymore. Um, yeah, I'm now. Let, we won't talk about this for too long uh, because I think quite a few other podcasts have, and probably better than we have. I mean, um, I think last last week's episode or, or this week's episode, I can't remember, of Core Intuition with Daniel Jarrett and Manson Reese uh, spoke about it. Uh, so basically, um, uh, Stephen Frank had downloaded uh, uh, a copy of Handbrake from the official Handbrake site. Uh, it turns out one of the mirrors that they used, the copy on there had been compromised uh, through a whole series of events. Uh, it asked him for his admin password, which he put in and the first thing is people say, well, why did he put his admin password in? But because yeah, when you're using open source tools, especially things that do have to sort of like install some, maybe some fairly low level libraries or into the system level, often you do have to put your, 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 your password in. So, you know, yes, should we stop every single time and ask why does it need this and all the rest of it? But we often tend not to. But anyway, the point is, his machine got compromised, and from his machine being getting compromised, um, the you know, there's the possibility that you know got all his well they got all his GitHub access, um, and then they tried to hold him to ransom to say we're going to release the panic source code if you don't pay us money. And if you read the blog post, which we'll put a link to in the show notes about their decision over the value of their source code if it got out there and not out there, is a very interesting discussion. Um, you know source code is a snapshot in time of an application if your application is active you know then really the value that somebody has by stealing your source code is um it, it diminishes over time anyway it, it's a it's a fascinating story it sounds like a complete pain in the backside for them involving the police and apple and fbi um uh so it's uh, in there but one of the uh the things that was i think um opened my eyes the most uh, was part of the discussion that Daniel and Manton had when they were discussing this blog post. It's about, you know, Panic or a reasonable company. They had lots of backups, blah, 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 all the normal stuff. You know, this would have been a bit different. So what would happen to you if actually someone didn't steal your source code from somewhere like GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket or whatever you use, but they actually got access to your, your uh, user account and then they changed the password and locked you out of it? Uh, and or they deleted your SSH keys from the ones that could access it. In other words, they held your entire account to um, hostage as opposed to just stealing the source code. They took over your account. 
would how screwed would you be do you have other copies of your source code do you have something other or do we rely totally on on these these places to to have you know could we say well they're backed up so we don't need it and whatever else so i thought that was um that challenged me and i'm having to go through a review of what i have what i keep where uh in order to sort of you know make sure that you know, hopefully i will never get compromised but if i did is you know what's going on here because I don't know if every code base I have, I keep a copy on my local machine. So if I my GitHub account did get um, hacked, then there may be code I couldn't get to. So I am going to a bit of an audit right now to say, well, I, I should at least be having um, the master branch or, or a copy of that code somewhere else. And how do I do that without it sort of being, oh, well, the one on my local machine, you know, because other people are posting to it maybe now and again is now, you know, eight revisions out and do I need to run a script each night that just pulls, you know, master or pulls develop and just shoves it off to my Synology NAS or whatever. But it's, you know, um, so it sounds like it should be really simple, but then it gets into this whole point. You could spend, you know, a whole weekend writing scripts or automating stuff. And, you know, I'm just trying to find the way that makes my life secure and easy. Um, and so the reason I wanted to just uh, talk about it is because, you know, it was that fact and I know we have lots of people who just, you know, maybe there's people who do their projects at home. Um, you know, they do their day job for, for, for the man and, and then work on stuff at home that, you know, everything might be on one of these providers. And if you are unfortunate enough to be uh, be compromised, then all those evenings and weekends could go up the swanee. Yeah. Well, there is a, a saying that this is kind of uh, among the, the people who do kind of archiving you know and i i learned this uh is the the acronym locks l-o-c-k-s which says lots of copies keeps things safe which i mean basically said you know don't be afraid in fact embrace having lots of copies of, of your digital ephemera that are important to you and I, you know uh i think in some ways it is important um and it's 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 funny. I mean, I, I use Backblaze, and I, so far I, I quite like it. I've, I have knock on wood not had to use it to to, to restore anything because I've not I've had tremendous luck so far, and I probably shouldn't have said that because now something's going to fail. But um, you know, one tends to, to to say, well, I'm not going to back up my Dropbox folder because that's what Dropbox has, and there's a lot of stuff there. Or I'm not going to back up, you know, my developer uh, my developer you know folder, right? You know, because maybe there's you know it becomes very large with all the intermediate build ephemera um and i know there are ways of keeping it separate and, and but you're absolutely right you know you you should spend some time thinking about it um i th think the last thing to say about this before we move on is is even link back to what you're saying is when you say something is accessible and and and, and excellent uh you know source code and, and engineering excellence is one thing but all the other things that you can't steal which are customer service and marketing verve and and community oriented you know behavior um you know even if somebody had all the source code and even if they they had had opened it up for the world to see you know I, I, that that's only one aspect of, of a successful product and a, and a successful company but yeah we can move on they are no i'm, I'm going to stay here for a moment i mean firstly yeah. i just want to I totally agree with what you said there, and that's the conclusion that Panic came to, that their source code, um, although obviously has value, it was not who they were. It didn't define, which is which is important because we can get very, you know, the code is everything can become quite, um, no. uh, equally the whole backup thing is really important. I mean, it's John, I think it's quoting John Syracuse, he says, if something, if there's not three copies of something, it's not backed up yet. Um, 
just to just to uh, give you a bit of a lecture, John, having a backup uh, system where you never try to restore something to make sure it's working is as good as not being backed up. Um, mm-hmm. So you should. Yeah, I'm not suggesting you have to restore your whole laptop every, thing, but you know, just now and again, go and taking a few files and making sure they can restore is definitely uh, worthwhile. And again, yeah, you know, I use um, Crash Plan. You know, same sort of thing. Um, you know, the the price of these um, services now, and the fact that most of us have decent internet connections. You know, back when you had you know maybe a, a decent downpipe, but only two fifty six k up, or you know maybe if you were being flashy, one meg, one meg up or something. You know, the these I think I once put a something like a Crash Pan or Black Bays on my machine and it said you know the initial backup was going to take six months or something but you know most of us have a decent uh, internet pipe now and it, yes it might still take days and maybe even weeks for a big big drive but you know if it's in the background it works overnight it's done there's no excuse not to have this stuff done um but again dropbox we we put our security or oh, dropbox is uh, the whole point is backup but what if dropbox get compromised um i i mean i trust dropbox pretty much uh, when it comes to security I do. Um, I, I always make sure that my Dropbox content is on multiple machines. So I have a Synology NAS. I, I love my Synology NAS. It's really, um, uh, really sweet. So I, 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 that's got a Dropbox app on it. So I make sure that's connected to Dropbox, and it's always. So there's always a copy of everything on Dropbox also on my NAS. Um, backup wise, that's a doesn't doesn't necessarily work because my main machine and the Synology NAS are in the same room. But I guess between Dropbox and the two machines, I can say I've got three copies of everything. But I don't put everything on Dropbox. So there's like some clients that um, where I'm under pretty you know strict NDAs, and I work on some stuff that's you know fairly fundamental um, to some of them, and just others of them just you know want it to be you know uh, kept secret. I I I I I feel very hesitant about putting their code that I'm working on for them onto Dropbox, just in case. Um, so now, you know, now I've got that somewhere else. So it's not being backed up, but equally, I feel less hesitant about having it backed up to crash plan. So maybe I'm a bit of a hypocrite there because yeah, people could compromise them as well, but it's, yeah, this stuff is, um, yeah, it just needs to be thought through and having a little reminder now and again, that, uh, sometimes things can, you know, go wrong and there are some nasty people in this world and, um, just, uh, making sure you have a plan if that's the case, it is worthwhile. And now, unless you have anything to respond, we can move on. Yeah, I do have something to respond. You know who's not a nasty person? I am. You know why? Because I have some helpful hints I would like to share with the world. May I do that? John, we, should, we need a little ditty here that's, you know, John's helpful hints. Or that or John's not a nasty man. <laughs> John, be unnasty. Okay. So, uh, Here's helpful hint uh, number one. So I was working on a view controller that I was doing some custom uh, transitions to present it. And uh, I was using a, a class that my colleague had had made. And he says, just follow this. You know, if you have a view that you, you know, <laughs> that it, uh, is named this and there's an outlet to it, uh, it will do the right thing because it involves some uh, uh, effects views to have blur and some other nice stuff. And um, so I had had the view working the way I wanted and all that, and, and even had it uh, look different on iPad using you know uh, size, uh, size classes so I could have something a little bit different for it. It was all kind of working nicely. 
And then uh, things started going awry when I had to, to, to make one other change. And I was uh, cursing and saying, why this is terrible. The world is against me. And the, and the specific problem I was having is the view looked proper, uh, but it, none of the buttons or the table you know, view uh, was receiving any, any user input. I was like, how is this possible? It's, it's displayed on the screen and yet I can't do anything with it. And I think, wow, that doesn't make it sense. So, of course, the first thing to do is to, you know, inspect the hierarchy uh, using the, you know, you know what they call that in Xcode, but whatever, the X-ray, X-ray you know, view viewer, um, and which is, is quite helpful. Um, and it wasn't immediately obvious what the problem was because the problem was itself that the, the view that was containing these uh, elements had gone to uh, zero height. And so it wasn't really visible in the hierarchy because it wasn't there. Um, and, but you would think intuitively, how is it possible that a container view can be of zero height or zero width or whatever, uh, yet its its elements can be visible? And in fact, it can very easily if you remember the fact that by default, a view does not clip to bounds. So you know you can have things that are hosted in a view even if its container view is, uh, you know, if its super view is 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 of zero height or of some sort. Um, and so. Uh, that's a helpful hint to remember that if, if you ever see that uh, happening. But oftentimes, uh, you know, I tend to color views or color layers to make them very, very obvious um, to be able to see what's going on. Um, so it's it's a, it's kind of a whatever a maybe a hackish technique, but I find it very useful. So that's helpful hint number one. Um, helpful hint number two that I, I learned this week is uh, I I said in the past that I, I care about accessibility and I have uh, really made an effort to uh, make sure that all all people who join the team or all people who ever look at my code say, yep, this is set up decently for accessibility and I can use this as a model of, of how to do things. Uh, and uh, there was a class that somebody had, uh, a colleague of mine had kind of said, oh, okay, let's use this as the model. And, and in that particular class, I had set the order of accessibility uh, items, which sometimes you want to do if you want, uh, you know, a, 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 an array, you know, if you want a use items to be, to, you know, the, the, the order in which they go, if you swipe to be fixed to a certain way. Normally, you just don't have to do that. And, and, and you know, the uh, NS accessibility does that all for you. Um, but sometimes you want to override it. Well, he had said, okay, I'm going to be very, very, very uh, clever about this. And I will add every single uh, sub view in a particular order, which made sense to him. But the problem was, is that not every view was visible. So if you say to, uh, you know, if you implement the accessibility uh, delegate methods and you say, your views, accessibility items are these views, and any of those views are disabled, which can easily happen in an A-B test, they're there, and then all of a sudden, you know, they become ghostly accessibility items, which you don't want to have happen. Um, but if you want to, you know, uh, maintain uh, an appropriate order, uh, oftentimes you'll have container views of some sort, especially if you use stack views. Stack views are awesome because they just do the right thing. If things need to disappear or they need to be kind of evenly spaced out horizontally or vertical, they're they're delightful things. I'm very happy that uh, you know to be able to use them freely now because uh, you know we, we now uh, in, our, in our current build are, are uh, OS, iOS nine and above, so we can use them easily. And so that made this particular project I've been working on with my colleague much easier, much cleaner than 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 other ones where you, without having stack views. Anyway, um, so I guess you could uh, link those two things together. Is if something is giving you a problem, it may not be the thing that's there, but the thing that's not there. So look for what's not there. John, you are just a hive of usefulness and niceness. <laughs> Thank you.
<laughs> and that was a honey-like, you know, compliment. Thank you, Scotty. It was. I, I, I must be go take my temperature and my blood pressure. I must be ill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just growing soft in your old age. Yes, something like that. <laughs> yes, uh, that you're the second person this week to call me old. That's um, yeah. There we are. I start getting a complex about this very soon. Uh, no, there's no complex because we can say this. I did you. Uh, I read today that uh, James Gosling, father of Java, um, uh, one of. The, but I think let's be honest in the record. He was one. Of, I don't know if he's the sole father of Java. I think there were other people that worked on its precursor, which was called Oak. So, but anyway, he's certainly given credit as as being the the main driving force behind Java. Uh, joined Amazon. To we don't know exactly what he's going to be working on, but it was interesting because he's 62. And it began a whole discussion uh, that I found interesting about kind of, you know, uh, what happens if you're not too old to, to, to code and not too old to be a, an excellent technologist and software engineer. So that gives hope. It does. There is hope for us all. Um, just, just talking of uh, Java, which obviously, um, just making a link there, Java is the uh, has been traditionally the main uh, development language for um, Android. Uh, but I believe this week, Google have uh, given you know first class citizenship to Kotlin, which is um, I believe an extension to Java. I may I may be wrong there. Uh, based uh, a lot around Scala, um, I think was his main influence. Um, but it's become first class support now. Why am I mentioning this on on this show? It's because uh, Kotlin and Swift are incredibly similar to each other. They've they've drawn a lot of the same principles because they're both new languages or newish languages that drew from the best of uh, uh, the languages that were around maybe slightly different you know backgrounds and have come to many of the same conclusions giving them a lot of similarities and in some places a lot of differences um, and I was in Berlin last week uh, at the um, uh, UI conf and there was a there was a pretty interesting session I'll put the link the videos are out already so I'll put a link in the show notes this one um, where uh, two developers who uh, both worked on Android and iOS uh, showed comparisons between Kotlin and Swift, and now you might do it in one way and you might do it in another way, um, and, and, and that was quite interesting. But this whole thing of you know people are pushing for new languages. Now I'm not sure if in the Android world people are saying I don't want Kotlin, you know, trendy kids thing. I want to keep my Java, just like we get a bit of with Objective C and Swift. I don't know, but it was. Um, the fact that uh, that interested me is yes, there are different, definitely some you know, major differences. But the fact that uh, the conclusions being made by different developers of languages are, are equally there's a massive amount of similarities of what the issues have been in the past and how to solve those issues. And I just found that quite, an, you know, if you've got a half an hour over lunch one day and you're just interested in that sort of thing, um, this video uh, of this talk is uh, is probably worth watching. Uh, I mean, another talk from the conference I'm just going to mention now um, was on typography and apps. Um, and when I read the uh, when I read the abstract for this, I thought, well, oh, yeah, that's that sounds reasonably interesting. It's a, yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. I'm not one of these people who gets massively hung up on fonts and in whatever else, and you know, gets uh, you know, all dribbly over the right font and whatever else. But um. So I just went. I uh, did go to this session, and it was um, being done by a designer who um, uh, taught himself to be a developer in order to try some of the things he wanted to try. Um, and he just spent a half an hour talking about you know the importance of text layout and the right fonts and 
doing the right things with uh you know with different symbols and how the you know we've all become luddites because we use the you know the the two straight quote marks um on our keyboard as as speech quotes and officially they're not speech quotes and um so he's written a, a wikipedia app uh, that takes an article from wikipedia and just beautifies it using the right font doing everything right with the with the syntax and everything and it's a really fascinating talk and the app is beautiful that he's written um uh, and so again if you're into that sort of uh, and it's about excellence again it's about just you know by by having a passion in um in what he's doing uh he's done it. but however what he what he has been saying is all this stuff that beautifies things and does all the correct stuff with the sort of non letter symbols within within fonts at the right place he's released as an open source library so you could to make your apps beautiful but equally then you know all humility says but i'm a designer so if you guys now i've said shown what to do want to go out and redesign it um you know rewrite it so that it's now efficient in nice code and whatever else that'd be great so if you're a if you're a person who's really into um you know typography and and finds that thing passionate and you know here's someone who's working in that area but needs developer help then please go and be a contributor to that uh, that open source we'll put a link in the show notes um because it sounds like a, a cool thing that is very cool. I will absolutely love to see that talk. Yeah, I will put links in the show notes. It's really good. It was a very good conference. There were some some very good talks. Uh, I think the typography one ended up actually being my favorite talk um, in there. But there's, there's yeah, the, the uh, conference organizers have been very fast. All the videos were out uh, already, and the conference is less than a week, finished less than a week ago. So um, uh, I'll put a link to the page that all the talks are as well. And um, yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. So well done to uh, uh, the folks who put together UIConf. It was uh, great. It was nice to spend a few days in Berlin. I do like Berlin as a city. Again, I can highly recommend people go visit um, and uh, just hang out there. Very chilled. Um, some uh, very good food, good transport system. And it was sunny, which, you know, for a Brit makes all the difference. <laughs> mm. And talking of sunny, John... It's sunny. You're coming in, to sunny, perfect San Francisco. It's sunny in San Jose, and that's where we're going to be very soon. Are you excited? Mm, I am kind of excited, actually. Um, there's, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've been off of the, you know, I've not been online that much. But is it? There's not really a much of a rumor mill going around for this year's Dub Dub, or, or am I just missing it? Uh, I don't think there really is. I mean, I think that uh, well. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I did read some little article today, which I found interesting. In fact, it was talking about uh, uh, some Apple-generated teaching materials, curriculum and, and teaching materials for teaching Swift at community colleges with ideas like, you know, everybody's is, is there's a marketplace of, of, you know, coding technologies, and Apple has an interest in making sure that there's a, a good number of Swift developers out there, so they made this available. So, um uh, so and and they were saying, well, you know, was it coincidence that it was released just before Dub Dub? And are they going to? You know, does that mean that we're going to be talking about things? Uh, I think that the fact that there's less of a rumor mill these days in general about Apple, it, I think, reflects the the relative maturity of the company. Um, and 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 yeah, I mean, I think that that's the topic for a huge whole uh, new conversation. I did have one story that I wanted to recount to to help round out my contribution to this show. Can I tell that now, John? Why don't you Why don't you take us to the finish line with a bedtime story? 
I will. And this will be our, our rounding it out about accessible and excellent. So uh, I was reminded because I had a, a message from, from Jeppy uh, of invasive code, invasive code, invasive code. Everybody loves invasive code. And he was thanking, uh, thanking me for having mentioned it because I, once again, you know, the, if you're looking for reliable information about how to use a, a variety of different Apple uh, uh, technologies, you could do far worse than to, to follow their examples. Um, and uh, Jeppy is, is, is a relatively uh, recent new father. And I asked if he's bringing his daughter to WWC. And he says, of course. And it reminded me of something and, and uh, something that I did. And it was quite some number of years ago. And I was telling my son about this. And I was saying that, you know, when I was first starting on Memory Miner, I had built myself a tester application to test out the concepts of drawing markers on, on a photo. And then the next obvious thing that I wanted to do with it is to smoothly animate it to basically implement the, the, the so-called Ken Burns effect. And when I was doing it, this was before core animation existed. So you had to drop down to the OpenGL layer. And I to this day, find OpenGL rather inscrutable. Um, and so I needed lots and lots of help. And I went to the lab and, and I, you know, as often happens at WWDC, the the true experts have a long line of people wanting to, 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 to get help. And um, so I've always done my best to try and make a, a nice personal connection with the engineers in question and see if there's any way I can get a way to contact with them. And, you know, I will say, uh, 10 years ago, it seemed to be a little bit easier than it has in, in prior years. Um, and we'll see if that changes. But, you know, somehow I managed to, to, to snake an email out of him. And uh, because there was still work that needed to be done, I needed to leave and I needed to be respectful of the long line behind me. Um, so I had a couple of follow-up email conversations. And what I'd done to show my humanity is, is my then kind of, my kid was two years old at the time. And I had a picture of him holding up a sign that said, you know, my dad no longer sucks, you know, thanks. And I, I won't name the name, but, you know, thanks so-and-so. My dad, uh, you know, the, the, the kids don't make fun of me because my dad's animations are smooth. Thanks, person. And I did that, you know, and, and sent, the, sent it to the, the engineer in question. And he loved it and thought it was very fun. So I was suggesting uh, that, that uh, it made me think about this. And I think that that you know, you should never be afraid to show your humanity uh, in, in, in whatever way makes sense. Always be thankful for people that help you. And if you need to be creative to, to kind of get somebody to, to be willing to help you, um, I wouldn't say ahead of or, you know, to actually help you uh, uh, when they have a long list of people to do it, standing out by being extra kind, you know, goes a long way. Uh, so there's my, my, my closing out uh, bedtime story and parable for, for our listeners. Well, thank you very much, Father John. Um, okay, John, if people want to be human towards you, where can they do it? <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And if they want to be mean, uh, sorry, nice to you, how can they do that, Scotty? They can also do that on Twitter by following MacDevNet. And of course, you can get in touch with both of us by email, by sending stuff to feedback at iDeveloper.co. Well, it's been a pleasure as always, John. And uh, hopefully, uh, our, our, I think I think we have, I think you're right. I think we're going to have to say our two listeners now. I think we have identified there are at least two. So I hope they've enjoyed the show. That's a listener each. So One for each channel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One for each ear. Um <laughs> Uh, I thought that Van Gogh was the only listener. I'm oh, sorry, Van Gogh was the only listener. 
we won't even go there. I mean, first of all, you've just pronounced the name totally wrong, but never mind. Uh, it's <laughs> the show was going well. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Thanks everybody for listening. Let's uh, not go there. Yeah. Oh my word. Put a bullet in the show's head. Until yes. then, you take, take care. care. I think that was okay.